0: The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I am Diana Marzalek. I'm senior reporter with Provoke Media, and I have two repeat guests today. I have Terry Sullivan and Alex Conant, who are co-founders of the public affairs firm Firehouse Strategies in Washington. Hello. Hey, hello. It's nice to have you back.
2: It's good to, good to be back with you. Yeah, I was like, you know, it's it's the lag time with the Zoom. It's good to be back with you. You know, it's uh, not as much fun. Last time we were in a, in a small studio in uh, in New York City. The world has changed a little bit since
1: Absolutely. <laughs> we're all in dress down and looking at each other's... Uh... <laughs> it's all right. Now we get to see where you work and the whole thing, right? Right. A little more up close and personal in some weird way.
2: Yeah, but Alex and I had to wear pants last time we did an interview with you. Now it's... <laughs> you <know? laughs>
1: I still remember, you know, I know everybody got lazy, but the, one of the most amazing moments of all of this was still when an ABC reporter who should know better got up. I think it was Good Morning America got up in yeah. boxers and it's like, put on some pants, right? You have <laughs> have good pants, but some pants would be fair enough. <laughs> so, okay. So we're having a uh, fully panted, whatever we are, <laughs> podcast here. Um, you know, I, I was going back, um, We talked, last time we spoke, last time we did this was in April, 2019. So a year and a half ago, basically. And at that time you were fairly new, um, although have grown miraculously and doing great. So congratulations on that. Um, But we talked about one one of the topics that we talked about was that part of the premise of your communication strategy is that tactics that had worked 10 years ago no longer were working today. Now, that was a year and a half ago. I'm feeling like tactics that worked 10 days ago might not be working today, so I want to revisit that. I mean, when we first set up this conversation a a week ago, I was right after the the, uh, first presidential debate, I thought that's what we'd be discussing, but it is such old news now, right, that, Things are moving so quickly. I mean, I mean, where was
0: that? Was that just a week ago? Yeah.
1: That was a week ago. That week's ago, and we have been through an entire ten years since then, right? So, where have where are we at? I mean, it versus in light of what we said a year and a half ago that that it was a ten year turnaround uh, in communications tactics. I mean, I think I think
0: think a lot of what we talked about a year and a half ago is even more true today, Uh, given what the country has gone through over the last couple of months um, and just how crazy every single news cycle is. And and it seems like the closer we get to the election, just the, the crazier it's getting, the more uncertainty there is and just what you know what what any particular day will bring and I think given all that uncertainty more than ever people are looking for trusted sources of, of news and content uh, and so as we talked about a year and a half ago our whole premise which is based off what we learned in politics is that trust in institutions is lower than than ever before and people go to people when they're seeking out information go to places that they trust be it news sources that they trust uh, friends that they trust and that that's not just true for like regular consumers but also for for policymakers uh, and so you know I think more than ever it's important that you that you communicate in an authentic manner uh, across mediums that, that people trust and so you know we've had a lot of success over the last couple of months communicating in this environment in part because I think it, it actually, goes to some of our strengths.
1: Um, you mentioned trust. We, we um, I also looked back and we had talked about perceived authenticity, that it doesn't have to be true. It has to be authentic, though, in a way. Um, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. And if that's not correct, please, please stop me and if I didn't define that correctly. Um, but the idea of trust, the idea of authenticity, and then the idea of truth. And you are now in public affairs. You both come from political backgrounds. Where does the line, both for the media and for whether the messenger, whether it's the government, where is the responsibility for truth in all of that? Regardless of what side of the, of, of anything you're on, the issues. I mean, there's so much information out there. It's not all truthful. Um, where does responsibility for the communicate, communicator and the outlet come into play? Well,
2: I, I do think that, look, I, I think as, as, Good human beings. We all have, regardless of our, our professional role, we all have an obligation um, to be to be uh, ethical, to be uh, to be honest, to be straightforward. Um, but in, in, I think what we're seeing increasingly is it's also important for us as consumers to be discerning in in the content that we that we take in, and more importantly, the con- content that we disseminate. Because so much now, what we're seeing is that it, it's not so much first-person reporting. It's and it's not even the credibility of that first-person reporting. It's I don't care whether it was in the New York Times or in a local blog. I associate the value or the credibility on that, and know in large part onto who sent me the link. And so I think that it is incumbent upon every consumer um, that they do a little bit of research when they take in the information, not take it blindly, um, and then uh, turn around, and before they disseminate it um, and amplify it, that they feel comfortable with its authenticity and its accuracy. I think as communicators, we have, and in the public affairs space, we have an obligation uh, to tell the truth um, and to do so on behalf of our clients. But I think in this environment, everyone is better served if we are very critical thinkers and critical consumers of media and content. But and, that's and, not reality,
1: is it, for a lot of people? I mean, I'm, and that's not, that's not demeaning people. It's just the way that, that this country, this way, this ecosystem of media is working, right? I mean, how much vetting is really going on? Um, and that, I guess, like you say, relies on the consumer, but the consumer's not necessarily doing that.
0: Well, but the consumer is not always the... In in our business, in our business, the consumer is not always the, you know, the guy watching TV at the end of the day, the consumer is a policymaker. If we're trying to pitch stories, the consumer is reporters, right, that we're trying to either educate reporters so that they cover a topic in a particular way, or, you know, we're trying to get them to write a, a specific story. In either case, like our reputations matter a lot and our clients' reputations matter, matter a lot in order to be effective doing that. So we're, I'm very proud of our firm's reputations with reporters, especially in the, Belt, in the Beltway, but also in a lot of regional markets you know, as you know, we hire a lot of people that come off of political campaigns. So they know all of the reporters and many cases they've been working with them in like these, you know, the most stressful of circumstances, the most intensive circumstances. But for us, if, if we're, if you're going to come work here, you have to also have good relationships with reporters. And in my experience, you can't have a good relationship with a reporter if you, if you constantly lie to them. Similarly, you know, I think, I think if you look at our current president, President Trump, you know, part of the reason he has really struggled to expand beyond his base is because in the early days of his administration and pretty much every day since, he has ruined his reputation as, as someone who's honest with a lot of Americans. Now, obviously his base still sees him as somebody who is a truth teller, uh, in part because they, you know, what he says to his base, they, you know, A, they continue to trust and B, it sort of fits with a lot of their worldview. But it's really harmed him in terms of reaching that broader audience that that he really really needs to reach. I think, and I and I think when we look at our clients, very few of our clients only care about you know the president's base or only care about uh, you know liberals. They want to reach a much broader segment of the population, or at least a bipartisan set of policymakers. And and to be effective doing that, you have to have a good reputation, which I think means you have to be truthful. So, uh, I, to your to your question about perceived authenticity. It, the message doesn't work if it's full of lies, you know, the message doesn't work if at the end of the day it's BS or we can't, we, we can't back it up um, in part because, you know, we can't find influencers that will carry a message like that. We have to find messages that uh, that appeal to our audiences that are based in the truth. Um, and, 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 and then, and then I think equally important, find the mediums to then communicate those messages over in, in the most authentic way possible.
1: You touched on two topics I want to ask you about. Um, one is sort of the the building of trust between communicators or a firm like yours and reporters. How, how gun-shy are, are reporters these days or how reticent are they? Um, you're talking about long-standing relationships, right? But is it is it difficult for you, for your clients, for your staff to build these relationships at this point because of the fractured relationships in Washington with the media?
0: I mean, I've... I find that we are talking to more reporters now than we ever have before, that it's easier to get to know a reporter than ever before, in part because everyone's stuck at home. Uh, and so, you know, instead of running around, stuck in commutes, having to cover events all day, you know, reporters are doing this, they're on Zooms, they're on phone calls. Um, I personally talk to more reporters every day now than I did when I was a White House spokesman. Like. Honest to God, like I we I talk to so many reporters every day. In part because everyone's calling around, everyone trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, so I, I don't think it's hard to develop relationships with with reporters in uh, in, in this environment, uh, which is somewhat counterintuitive given you know how <laughs> given everything going on and the fact that we can't actually meet.
1: Right. Um. And where does your own um for communicators? Where does the own especially in Washington biases? I know you're not supposed to have any biases, but come in, like, you know, in terms of working with reporters, did you, I guess you have to do your own vetting, right, of who well, you mean, to be the spokesperson for you or the, the conveyor of the message.
2: I mean, yes. I mean, look, the good news is we are very biased. We are biased on behalf of our clients. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's not dissimilar that the decades we don't work for political candidates anymore, uh, but it's not dissimilar from how we uh, work for them, which is we make a decision that we find, you know, clients that we can believe in and a cause that they're, they're fighting for that we can believe in. Um, and then we fight ferociously on their behalf. Um, so it's not like we're rechecking everything every day. It's like, wait, we believe in this client and what they're fighting for. And, and we're going to go fight as hard as we can on their behalf to get their message out and to win a friendly hearing uh, with the media and with, uh, with policymakers and with consumers. And so we are advocates uh, much more in the way of a of almost an attorney would be for their client than we are you know try to make ourselves out to be honest brokers of of you know any sort of content we 're not dishonest but we 're not here to tell both sides of the story we 're here to tell our client' side of the story and do so with great passion
1: yeah which is uh, which is honest and good um, are you are you breaking through the noise um, are you being hurt when you're you know, talking to policymakers and the like. Yeah, because- they have space at at this point in time?
2: Yeah, I think playing off of what Alex said, I think for a couple of reasons. One, we've got a really captive audience. Um, Two, at a time, the fact that there is so much distrust in things like paid uh, media, paid advertising, and traditional lines of communication, our authentic communication is just that much more effective. It cuts through when there is- so much more noise, or, or so much more static out there. The, our our clear pitch cuts through that static, um, and and I'm sure there's some some audio engineers that are are cringing right now at my mangling of the explanation of of static and noise. But but like we we're, we're setting a tone that really cuts through uh, because it's authentic, and it's not just that it's an authentic message, but that we're getting. Uh, people to deliver it that have credibility, and that matters.
1: Well, and credibility is a, a, a key theme <laughs> that's right. very present at the moment. Um, there's no way we can have this conversation without talking about the White House, even though it, I know the world has been consumed about the White House in the last week. Um, and Alex, you come from a, uh, I know you both come from politics. Alex, you were in a White House, right, George? Yeah,
0: I, I, I was in the second term of Bush's White House. Right. Uh, so,
1: So. No doubt that um the communications team of a White House has an agenda or or a point of view, correct? But what's your takeaway of what we're seeing today in this White House?
0: Well, that look I, I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to be critical of White House staff because I know how tough those jobs are under the best of circumstances, and clearly these are some of the worst of circumstances that <laughs> the White House staff has ever has ever had to deal with. You know, clearly they, you know, they have they have an audience of one that they're trying to uh, trying to please and trying to carry his message, knowing that if they don't do that, they'll either quickly be they'll quickly be replaced. Quite frankly, <laughs> so and, and I think they're trying to balance that with what. With what most communications professionals recognize, which is that to be an effective White House communications operation, uh, you have to have a good working relationship with the White House press corps. Um, it's it's really impo- it's really difficult for a president to constantly go around. The, around the white house press corps because they're going to have questions if you don't answer those questions your failure to answer those questions become the news which is exactly what we saw unfold over the last few days when there were questions about the president's health that the white house team refused to answer and then they were consumed with well why won't you answer these questions uh, and so you know i think that uh, I don't want to be critical of them because I know that they have a really, really hard job to do and they're present and, and they work for a guy who doesn't want to be as transparent as I think that they need to be in order to be effective.
1: I always, I wonder as, and I'm not in as the lay person in this, but looking in, but um, where do legalities come in? Um, or res- I guess it's more about responsibilities and telling the truth and being transparent. I mean, is that yeah. not part of the deal when you. Yeah, when well, you- look,
2: I, I think I'm, um, Alex is definitely the uh, Firehouse founding partner who is uh, uh, more diplomatic out of the <laughs> All
1: right, so now we're going uh, to you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if, if you have a, uh, a, if you went to work in the Trump administration, you had a strong moral, moral compass um, and uh, a duty to put country before anything else. Uh, well, there's a long list of those f- people who've resigned. Um, or been fired, depending on, you know, which story version of the story you believe. Um, um, you know, recently, Corey Lewandowski, who I, I like, but but um, in his book, uh, there's a clip where he mocked um, chief, the chief of staff for saying that, you know, he, he was working for America first, not the president first. And he mocked him. How could he be disloyal to the president who's hiring him? So, uh, you know, uh, if your main loyalty is to the person and not the job, um, you're, you're not going to actually do as good a job for the person is my belief. I, 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 for 20 years of, of working for candidates and I've carried this over into our corporate client work, I've never had a client that I was afraid, so afraid of losing my job that I wouldn't tell the truth to. If you go in and you're willing to lose your job every day in an but only in a way that advocates on behalf of, of your client and what's best for them, you're going to be more effective for them. And I think you've lost a lot of that. The people who've had that attitude that they're willing to speak truth to power, they're willing to tell the emperor that he's slightly underdressed and should be wearing a mask, um, you know, then you're out. Right. And so what's left are people who, who are yes men and yes women. And so I think that's what you're really seeing right now is, you know, the video that we saw last night that, that he did. I mean, it just was tone deaf and didn't help him. It didn't help him, but nobody said to him, Hey, Hey man, you can't do this. It's going to your chances of getting reelected
1: and you're talking Um, about him taking off the mask or the one of it's
2: not just taking off the mask but like the garbage and look you can get through you know all of every american should be able to get doped up on all the hot new drugs and stare and be roided out like me you know this is awesome i'm on roids like (laughs) right it's the most tone-deaf, insane thing. Everybody, doesn't everybody have a fleet of 10 doctors in perfectly taro- tailored lab coats attending? It's the dang-
1: It's also dangerous, though, right? Well, I mean... It's not only sure, tone-deaf, dangerous.
2: Absolutely, but, but then you're talking about the ethics and the public health aspects of it. I'm just saying from an, an obligation, your question was about the obligation to your, yes. to your client. Okay. And loyalty, and what I'm saying is, they weren't, in their attempt to make him happy, they weren't serving him and his best interests because they were fearful of him being unhappy.
1: So you think his messaging, I don't know if we can go down this, it, you said it's not serving him. You don't think that these messages of, 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 Superman?
2: Well, we can guess, but I, but we can give a real definitive answer in about 27 days.
1: I yeah. know it. I know it. I mean, what are you hearing? What are you guys hearing?
2: It's going to be, it's going to be pretty rough uh, for Republicans. Um, you know, I, you, you can't tough to make predictions um, in this environment, but it is very, very difficult to see a path for victory for Donald Trump um, and increasingly difficult to see the path for victory for a lot of close Senate races for Republicans. It's getting worse by the day.
0: Yeah, I mean... It- I think I think Trump's challenge is that, you know, in 2016, he won in part because Hillary Clinton was so unpopular. The last few weeks of the election were very much about her and her scandals. Uh, he needs this election to be about Joe Biden and Joe Biden's faults. And I can't remember the last time I saw Joe Biden on the evening news in in, in a serious, sustained way or let alone a critical way. Um, you know, I think Biden's strategy of staying in the basement while you know, Republicans made a lot of fun of it has proven to be pretty successful because especially when you know, you know, Trump get catching COVID and then uh, you know, just insisting to stay on TV every single day, this election's all about Donald Trump and his poll numbers just aren't good enough to get reelected.
1: It really is polar opposites. I mean, I've, I've thought about it, of course, when we talked about Biden's strategy you know, in, in hindsight, in time, but yeah, the polar opposite of, of him being low key and Trump just being out there, it's, uh, it's pretty stark.
0: Well, he took a risk I mean, I think the risk was that you know he by not by not being out there proactively uh, in an aggressive way, you know he let Trump define the media narrative and I think if Trump had been more strategic and and, and more disciplined in driving a negative attack against Biden, he, maybe he over a sustained period of time he could have raised biden's uh, negative numbers in the same way that he did Hillary Clinton's in 2016. Um, and, and if he had been able to disqualify Bill, uh, Joe Biden with all those independent voters in the upper Midwest, the same way he did Hillary Clinton, you know, I think we'd be in a different political situation than we are right now, where this election is all about Donald Trump. You know, every voter that is going into the polls is going to be, do I want to see Donald Trump reelected or not or not? And that is not a good frame for the president.
1: Right. It was the last week Do you, between the, the debate and then him getting sick. I mean, was that sort of a pivotal moment or you, this was brewing beforehand?
0: I think it was pivotal in the sense that to the extent there were undecided voters out there, they're they're, they're, they're probably they've probably made up their minds now.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, and, and, and and campaigns uh, and all messaging is is so much about trajectory. It's yeah. over, It doesn't. I mean, look, polling is a snapshot and the ballot is a lagging indicator. Um, so what matters more than where you're at, where the numbers show you're at is that the trend lines, the direction you're headed. Um, and they were not good trend lines for Donald Trump. He needed to do something to start to, to, to narrow the gap. Voters don't just change their minds in mass overnight, wake up one day and a huge block shifts. You need to start to narrow that gap. And every day that goes by that he's not narrowing that gap greatly decreases his ability to do it. Uh, it's going to take, you know, if he started doing everything right and Joe Biden started doing everything wrong, it's still going to take time for that to set in. And, um, and especially since ballots are already being cast, millions of ballots have already been cast. Um, so his window is shutting rapidly in no, lo- in no small part because he needs to make this race about Joe Biden and how Joe Biden will negatively impact the recover- economic recovery. And he has yet to be able to articulate that message in any sustained fashion. If he could stay on that message, he would have a shot to win. But instead, he spent more time attacking former staff members that were rude to him than he has Joe Biden's failed economic policies, which, you know, may be very therapeutic, um, but not very effective.
1: How will this episode, this period of time, this behavior, whatever we want to call it, affect both in terms of the Republican Party, um, you know, we haven't heard a whole lot of dissent from them. But if um, in time, but if if you know, Trump falls out of favor, how much recovery period is the party looking at? Um, and also, just in terms of regaining sort of um, uh, the relationships with, with the press and all of that in in Washington.
0: Uh, I mean. We'll see. uh, Look, it's not good, and so I worked as you as you mentioned. I worked in the Bush White House. Uh, I was the RNC's press secretary in two thousand eight. So I've got I have I have some experience with devastating losses uh, like (laughs) experienced that year, and it it, it's really hard. I mean, it is really hard on on the party. Now that said, I, I do think that it leaves the potential for a new wave of leadership to, to come in I mean it, Trump losing in an epic way would create a big vacuum leadership vacuum in the party and that and in politics hates a vacuum I mean, people will step into to fill that now it's not going to happen in December or January. it's going to take you know months if not years uh, for the sort of next generation of Republican leadership to step up and fill that void. I think a lot of it depends on how Joe Biden governs, uh, and and you know I'm I'm one of the things I'm closely watching in part because we have a lot of clients reaching out to us about it already is is you know what does a Biden agenda look like? I mean, what does the first three months, four months of next year look like? Does he want to work with Republicans, or is it, it does he does he not want to work with Republicans? And what agenda does he put forward first? I think a lot of that will will actually. Answer, you know, what the Republican Party looks like going forward. Whether, as in two thousand nine, you know, Obama showed very little interest in working with Republicans, and as a result, we saw the rise of the Tea Party and the Republican Party recover. I think much quicker than anybody expected, um, or. Or does it take longer this time? I I mean, that's an unknown. I'd actually be interested in Terry's thoughts on that, too.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, look, if your your corporation or your association is at all impacted by government, and and frankly, increasingly, every corporation and industry is, is, um, and you haven't started to work on your plan on how you're impacted by a Biden administration, now you're behind the curve. Um, and you can call our offices or go to our website. No, um, <laughs> no. but look, in, in all seriousness, you, you know, now is the time to be, start planning for that, be prepared and not caught flat footed because things are going to change. And there's a, there's a good shot that it is Democrat controlling house, Senate and the executive branch. Um, and, and it could be two years, of and, and you know for many of our clients, uh, a tough time um, uh, for corporations as you see increased regulation, higher tax burdens I mean the Biden tax plan is, is, is pretty tough on businesses um, the uh, The energy industry energy space is going to be hit really hard if you 're not starting to many of our clients were working for. We're already working on these plans and have been for months, but now is the time to really start start thinking what is it gonna mean and how do I lay the groundwork to win a friendly hearing when it matters, when I need it.
1: Interesting. All right, so where do we, we've got the rest of the month to go, right? then we regroup. I mean, what do you expect to see in terms of messaging, voices out there, campaigning? I don't know. What can you send me off with?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, look, I think... I think as, the, as it becomes increasingly likely that Biden will be the next president, I wouldn't be surprised if the media starts to look a little bit more at what a Biden agenda looks like, in part because like, there just hasn't been enough media oxygen to do that to, to date. Um, also, you know, not for nothing, President Trump got very disciplined the last two or three weeks of the 2016 race. You know, I'm curious to see if he does that again, and if so, does that mean – Things tighten a little bit, or or is it going to be the the landslide that it, you know it looks like it it could be right now? Also, as Terry said, you know the Senate races are are hugely important in terms of uh, you know what what the next two years look like if the Republicans are able to hold on to the Senate. So obviously, closely watching those as well. And we might not know that until December if there's a runoff in Georgia. Um, so you know <laughs> this this may take a while.
2: Yeah, and let's let's be honest. At this point in time, uh, four years ago there was no Access Hollywood tape, mm. and there was no week WikiLeaks release of emails. So both campaigns and, you know, we didn't know that Anthony Weiner's computer had been seized <laughs> by the FBI and reopened the Hillary, like, so although it seems like every insane thing that possibly could happen has happened, man, we got, we got, a, we got <laughs> four more weeks of craziness, and this, and this is 2020 style craziness, so who knows what happens?
1: Oh, all right. Um, I hope we'll see. We'll see. I always love these conversations, so I appreciate it. I I hope we don't wait a year and a half for this one because we'll have to see (laughs) and maybe we'll talk in February and see where we're at and all that stuff. But uh, I wish you luck out there.
2: Thanks. Always great talking to you.
1: Okay. All right. Take
0: care. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.